anything. If we know what change we want to make, going back to that, I sound like a broken record, then we have to figure out what the easiest tool to use is. Maybe it's our fingers. Maybe it's a massage tool. Maybe it's whatever it is. Maybe it's just talking to the patient, right? But, but we have to know what change we want to make. I'm Michael Max, and this is Geological. It's easy to be distracted from what's essential. Love, contentment with the moment and all its troubles and potentials, that we are alive in a perfectly imperfect world, that we both suffer and can find transformative meaning in all of the curious corners of life in which we find ourselves. It's easy to cast our attention outward and lose our voice to the cacophony of other voices and believe that theirs matters more than ours, to give our attention to experts, luminaries, and those we respect as knowing more about the world than we do. It is so easy to see where we're lacking and seek to fill that void with solutions that promise a wholeness that we thirst for. It's easier to follow than it is to lead, simpler to nod in agreement rather than dare the discomfort of questions that we are not even sure how to intelligently articulate. There is an emptiness within that is too often conflated with the kind of lack, when in truth, it is the empty space of the creative. There is very little in life that comes from a feeling of comfort. It's usually that grain of sand at the core of a pearl, some kind of irritation that sets us off on a journey of creating meaning and discovering how we fit within the storm of life. Life has few guarantees. Nature's web of life, along with its resources and opportunities, are wildly, unevenly distributed. Ecosystems are as varied and diverse as the turns a river takes on its way to the sea. There's plenty of room for suffering as our ideas about the world are not the world. And while we have agency within the domain of our life, we are also as leaves in the wind at the mercy of influences over which we have no control other than in how we choose to respond. Life is capricious and it's full of chaos. That chaos much like the spring flood brings nutrient to the worn-out fields, that brings us the raw nutrient for a cycle of growth. Most of us wind our way into the practice of East Asian medicine through a circuitous path. So often, it's not that we find it, but that it finds us. In this conversation with Mark Parzinski, we discuss the tools that he creates by hand for our handmade medicine. We talk about the role of qi and intention and how the ling shu is a reliable guide for our ever-expanding exploration of acupuncture and how our medicine demands our active attention. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. 
Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast Needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com slash Geological to learn how. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app slash switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Let's get into it. Mark Parzinski, welcome to Geological. Hi, Michael. It's great to be here. I am happy to have you here. I know of you because a friend of mine recommended your gua sha ban, huh? the gua sha tool that you make. And I've, I've had it now for, I don't know, maybe two or three years. Oh, great. Yeah, I've been making them for about 10. So, yeah. It's an extraordinary instrument to hold in the hand. So I'm super happy to be here to talk with you about tools of the trade and how we use them, how you think about them, whatever else we want to talk about. Great. Yeah. If you want me to go into the tools a little bit or where that comes from. I'd love to go into the tools, but before we do, I'm always curious to know how people landed in the oriental medicine world. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I started in martial arts when I was around 11, so early 80s, and I developed really bad arthritis in my right wrist, probably from a lot of jujitsu training and joint locks and stuff. Mm. How old were you when that happened? Oh, it, it developed over the years. Yeah. And in around late 90s, I had a hand surgeon telling me that he wanted to saw my all in half and shorten the bone, which didn't sound good. Mm. <laughs> so I wound up figuring that I wasn't going to be able to do martial arts anymore the way I wanted to. I took a Tai Chi class <laughs> because that's not real martial arts or so I thought. It's dialed back. Yeah. So you thought, tell me more about that. So you thought what happened? I met Gregory Fong who became really like my main teacher, guru, mentor, and showed me just how good of a martial art Tai Chi was. But within a year of training with him, I didn't have any arthritis anymore. Wow. 
I was working out on a heavy bag. I was doing planks on my knuckles. There was no problems with my wrist after about a year to a year and a half. It's 22 years later. I still don't have any arthritis in my wrist. And so that kind of inspired me to figure out what the heck was going on here. No kidding. What an introduction. And so, you know, I studied with Gregory Fong for until he passed away in 2016. And really, as much as my studies at OCOM and everything, and studying with lots of great like acupuncture teachers has influenced me, I think his teachings probably more than anything else have shaped where I am as an acupuncturist. Because mm. and he wasn't an acupuncturist. He was Tai Chi Ichuan practitioner, lifetime martial artist, but really amazing man. Yeah. You know, for me this is one of the amazing and wonderful things about the medicine that we practice. On one hand we've got acupuncture, which essentially is a method. Right? It's not the medicine. It's a method. Absolutely. It's a way of exploring this thing called chi. You can do it in other ways. You can do it with food, you can do it with meditation, you can do it with movement, you can do it with tai chi. I'd like to know a little bit more about, and it's great, it's like, oh, I had to like dial back, do something soft like tai chi, and then it's like, no, actually, tai chi is pretty badass. Yeah. I'd like to know more about that. Yeah, when you're younger, you like to mix it up a little when you, you get into things. I'm approaching 50 at this point, and my goals have changed in life. But doing jujitsu, there's this mentality of, oh, yeah, where the we do the real stuff. But there's a certain mechanics that you get in Taiji, a certain. And I should say that Taiji is one aspect. Each one is really the art that Greg taught. He used Tai Chi as a, a way to get people in the door and to pay his bills. Mm. But each one was his first love. And it's all about mechanics. It's about distilling things down to their simple, most functional form. Can you move with the most efficient functionality? And what that kind of mentality taught me was it taught me how to use the jujitsu that I'd studied before properly. It taught me how to use body structure, how to use mental focus, because it's all about E and using E to align your Li, right? So we want to get our physical structure aligned with what we're doing mentally. And that's the whole of it. Okay. So this e-tron that you're talking about, because I'm not familiar with it, my first thought was, oh, it's like one something, but it's not the one E, it's the significance E. It's the mind, it's intention, it's awareness, focus. That's right. Yeah. There's a great history to it. There's this guy, Wang Jingzhai, who was around in about 1900s in China, and he traveled all around China. And he gets to Beijing, and he writes this great letter, and he says, I've traveled all of China, and I've taken on all, all fighters who would challenge me, and I found exactly two and a half people that could beat me. And I studied with them and I learned from them. And if he calls out Yang Cheng Fu, he calls out the Wu brothers, he calls out all of the like top martial artists at the time. And he basically says, look, you're teaching the wrong stuff. If you disagree with me, come and have tea. We'll have a discussion. Mm. Um, <laughs> and the legend is when people would show up for tea, he would ask them where they want to sit and then they would find themselves there. And he would just effortlessly move them into the chair. It's a legend, whatever. Mm -hmm. But he was really known for cutting the BS out of martial arts. And his thing was, we shouldn't be obfuscating the truth. We should be sharing things freely. Let the knowledge out. Because what happens when we hold back, which is a cultural thing in China very often. I think it's true in all cultures. You got something good. It gives you an advantage. Yeah. If you share that with everybody, now you've lost your advantage. Absolutely. Yeah. In martial arts, especially, right? You don't want your students beating you up. Well, and I think in the medical arts as well. Yeah. You'll lose your patience. His thing was share stuff freely. Let knowledge be open. Mm -hmm. Let it all out. Let, you know, let's talk about stuff. Let's distill stuff. Let's see what really works. Let's all get better. Yeah that rising tide lifts mm -hmm. all boats kind of kind of thing. 
You know, I love, oh man, I love that story. Where do you want to sit? And then he effortlessly guides them there. I think about working in clinic, right? Someone comes in, it's like, what do you need? Where do you want to go? And our job is to effortlessly guide them there. Yeah. I think that's the thing about our medicine, right? I think we have to know what kind of change we're trying to make, Mm. right? I think intention is so important. And oftentimes we think, oh, Deadman wrote in his book that this point does X, therefore I'll use this point. But that's not really thinking about the change you want to make, right? When you start to learn points, become intimate with certain points. Like I don't think it works unless you're intimate with the points. Right. Absolutely. I have this thing for spleen six. I do everything with spleen six. Everybody gets spleen six, right? But I don't use it as spleen six necessarily. I studied with Shimamore and he was all about spleen eight, except his spleen eight was pretty much anywhere on the inside of the leg. <laughs> Is that spleen eight? Who cares? I love it. I have a very intimate relationship with lung six. Mm. It shows up all the time. I can use it in so many different ways. Yeah. Liver six, same thing. Yeah, that's great to hear. So tell me more about your relationship with spleen six. Because I know you're not thinking deadman wise, and I know that you're not thinking, oh yeah, spleen six, it's a heavy hitter. Anyone can use it. It I mean, there is that, but it sounds like you're coming from a different place with it. Yeah, I think I just started with it as, oh, it's three leg in and you can access, I love crossing points, so you can do a lot with it. Like I said, I'm about distilling things down. Mm -hmm. So I want to use as few needles as possible. Mm -hmm. So when I have a needle that's across, or a point that's a crossing point or something where I can access a lot of functions, I go there and I stay there and I work with it. I'm the kind of acupuncture that likes to sit with a point and get the change and then just remove the needle, right? I've got some Japanese training. Mm -hmm. Ling Shu says, when the chi arrives, withdraw, do not repeat. Mm -hmm. So I don't retain very long at all in patients most of the time. So I can sit there with a crossing point and I can be with the patient and see what's going on and see what the change is. It's a big part of how I approach things rather than put a few points in and walk away and hope for the best. I mean, there's merit to that too. Mm -hmm. There's definitely merit to letting somebody chill out on the table. But it's generally not the approach that I use. I was talking to a fellow who does Japanese-style acupuncture in the past month or so. His time with patients is roughly 15 to 20 minutes Mm -hmm. because he doesn't need more time. Yeah. And people often have busy lives. They're happy to come in and, wow, 20 minutes later, great, I'm done. Yeah. So there's that too. But yes, and at the same time, it's great. Plenty of merit too. You put some needles in, you let people spend a little time with themselves. Mm -hmm. That right there, I think, is therapeutic on a number of different levels. I do all the work I need to do on the patient in the first like 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of times I'll put like one or two needles in like wherever and just walk away and let them chill out and go do my charter (laughs) just to, cause I think we all need to chill. Yeah. But I'm done in the first few minutes of treatment, usually depending on what it is. That's great. Yeah. Now, this idea of the arrival of chi, do chi, the arrival of chi, I'd like to get your slant on it, especially with your training with the E. Because we hear this thing about, oh, it's like feeling a fish, bite on a hook, or sometimes the patients, especially if you're doing strong-handed Chinese style, they'll, you'll kind of levitate them off the table, mm-hmm. and you could call that chi. I've noticed sometimes you put a needle in like a person's complexion will change or the feeling in the room changes. So I'm curious to know what you're tracking when you're tracking the arrival of Qi. So I'm heavy into Ling Shu. I keep going back to the Ling Shu. And what the Ling Shu says in chapter one is all of acupuncture is to tonify the deficiency and reduce the excess. 
and we're looking for balance and balance comes in and our markers come. We can talk on a physical level when you're first learning to palpate. When I put a needle in, if I feel say spleen six is deficient, mm -hmm. right? I feel this hollow in spleen six and I put that needle in. I want to feel spleen six fill up. I want to physically feel spleen six fill up. Or if it's cold, I want to physically feel it heat up. And that's how I know I can remove the needle. Mm -hmm. Very objective. I'm looking for an objective physical change. I think that's kind of step one when you're learning acupuncture. But I think there is a much more, oh, I'm going to really try to avoid using the word intuition. But I think there's a sense that we build as acupuncturists. Uh, I think intuition is something we build over time. It's not something that you start out year one as an acupuncturist and you have this great intuition. Over time, we gain this kind of knowledge that we can't necessarily put into words because we've touched a hundred people, 200 people, a thousand people, mm -hmm. and we get the sense and you feel that. I don't believe the patient can tell you when you've achieved dachi. I think that as practitioners, we have to have that understanding. The patient doesn't know the difference between nerve pain and dachi. Oh yeah, I feel it. It's electrical. It's electrical. Stimulate it more. No, no. So I think we have to know when we're doing what we want to do. And we have to know what we want to do before we start doing it. Mm -hmm. Back to that intention piece. You know, I, I hear that word intention mm. a lot. And often when I hear it, I don't hear anything under it. It's like, well, you know, just use your intention. No, no, no. Intention for what? And you just added the piece. I've been trying to, well, it's not that I've been trying to figure this out, but it's, it's one of those things that's been annoying to me when I hear the word intention. Yeah. So you got to know what you're looking for. So there's a key component to intention, right? So there's, mm. I don't know if you're familiar with six harmonies. I am not. So it's used a lot. The Luha is used a lot in different martial arts contexts, but it really applies to everything. So the three external harmonies are really easy to understand. It's just hands and feet, knees and elbows, shoulders and hips. But the three internal harmonies are something that I think mm. answers that intention question. Mm -hmm. So the first harmony is the E must harmonize with the Jinshen. So your heart mind, in this context, we're gonna say the knowledge you have, blood houses, memory, memory stores knowledge, heart. The heart mind must be in alignment with your intention or your focus. Mm-hmm. The second one is the yi must align with the chi. The energy you're putting into it has to align with your intention, right? If I'm thinking about my laundry, but I'm doing X, it's not really going to work out well. And then finally, the chi must align with the li. So the physical manifestation of movement has to align with your energetic output. So in other words, I could sit in my car for a week and intend to change the tire. If I don't know how to change the tire, if I don't get out of the car and change the tire, the tire is not getting changed, right? So we have to have all these other components to back up our intention. You can't just sit around and think about manifestation. You got to roll up your sleeves. Mm -mm. No, you got to do the work. You got to do the work. Yes, indeed. I love that character, Li. The Chinese translation is something along the lines of the image of the pattern that runs through a piece of jade or the grain of wood. Mm. It's like the coherence of something. It's, it's the structure, the actual physical, yeah. in this world structure, how it's put together. Yeah. And, and often translated as coherence as well. It's a l wonderful concept and I really appreciate your putting it together with the idea of internal and external as well. It's really helpful. That gives a real grounding to intention. Now you got something to work with. I think one of the things that I got from uh, Gregory Fong, because he was very interested in getting things as simple as possible, but making things absolutely practical. And he had this great way when he would ask you a question and you would give him an answer. And if your answer was complicated or you were using words 
that he didn't think you really understood. <laughs> he would do this move where he would say, oh, my English isn't very good. Can you make it simpler? And he would just keep repeating that until you either realized you had no idea what you were talking about, which was most of the time, mm -hmm. or until you could distill it down to something simple and put it into plain language. And I've been a, a supervisor over at OCOM for a few years, and I kind of do that with my interns. I don't supervise over there anymore, but when I was supervising over there, I would do that with my interns. And if they said chi, they better be able to define chi. I think language is about communication. Mm -hmm. And we as a profession could probably do a better job at defining the terms we use, because I guarantee you, when you say the word chi to me, you might mean eight different things depending on the context. And I might interpret them 20 different ways that you're not intending, right? So we have to come to a, an understanding of what the words are that we're saying as we say them, because communication breaks down. Absolutely. And we talk past each other. And Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of Yang, the primal reservoir of Yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of Yang Chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvelous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. And it's so easy to think that because we're using the same words, we attach the same meanings or have same experiences it's just not the case. Yeah. I remember one of my teachers talking about that if you can't explain it to like an eight-year-old, you probably don't really know it that well yourself. Right. Yeah. And I find in my practice, because years ago I gave up trying to teach people Chinese medicine 101. That was not helpful for anybody challenge for me has been, and it still is to some degree, depending on the person, how can I speak with them in a language they understand about what I'm seeing and how I intend to help? Yeah. It's a great exercise. I fail at it all the time. <laughs> I'd like to turn to the tools that you make. Yeah. Were you like a silversmith or something or a metal worker before you went into Chinese medicine? So my undergrad degree is in art mm. and I studied jewelry making and silversmithing in school. Mm -hmm. And then what all good art majors do, I started repairing industrial machinery for a living. And I did that for 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the orthopedic side of the trade. <laughs> and that's what I was doing. When I started going to acupuncture school, I was repairing industrial machinery. And one of my instructors pulled out a set of gold and silver tation. Mm -hmm. And they're beautiful. And I looked at them and I was like, ah, I could make that. And so I went home and I, I started making a tation. I brought it back and I proudly showed it to him. And he had this great way of telling me how bad it was, but then encouraging me to try again. And <laughs> I did that over and over and over. The first tation I, I made compared to what I make now, there it's night and day. But 
I've always loved tools. For a while, if you, there's a chain of lumber stores here in uh, Oregon and Washington. And if you go into the lumber store and look at their radial arm saw, it'll have this plexiglass guard on it. I designed and built those and installed all of them. Right. So that was my life before. I'm into tools. Mm -hmm. I think tools are things that should absolutely make our lives easier. And if going back to the Ling Shu, right? So Ling Shu starts out, right? Huang Di is saying, we need to give the people good health care. And I'm not sure how to do it, Chibo. What do I do? And what are Chibo's first words? You have to know about the nine needles and the techniques that go with them. That's the first thing he says. You need some tools. The nine needles. Right. So how many needles do most acupuncturists use? The seventh, the Goshen, right? The, the filiform needle is like, some of them use the bleeding needle, right? And occasionally when you get into the Japanese practitioners, maybe they have a tation in their box. But the first three of those needles are massage tools. You've got the arrow needle, the egg-shaped needle for separating the muscles and sinews without damaging the viscera. And then you've got the tation for treating the channels without penetration, right? First three are massage tools. The second three of the nine needles are for removing body fluids. We've got the bleeding needle, the sword needle, which is basically a scalpel for opening up carbuncles and fruncles. And then you've got the horsehair needle or the round sharp needle that puts big holes in people for draining edema, right? Not the acupuncture we practice today. Mm -mm. The last three needles are closer to filiform needles. Most people stay in that realm, but I think there's so much more. I think if we know what change we want to make, going back to that, I sound like a broken record, then we have to figure out what the easiest tool to use is. Maybe it's our fingers. Maybe it's a massage tool. Maybe it's whatever it is. Maybe it's just talking to the patient, right? But we have to know what change we want to make. When I was in the eighth grade, I had a shop class. Mm -hmm. I loved it. We made things. Yeah. We cut wood up and hammered it together. We heated metal up and pounded it and turned it into like, you know, fireplace tools. Yeah. I loved it. It was like the coolest class. And the thing that the teacher would always say, right tool for the right job, boys. Absolutely. <laughs> My wife occasionally wants to hammer something into a wall and she'll come to me and she'll be like, can I borrow a hammer? And I'll say, what are you using it for? I've got like 30 hammers in my shop, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you have to have the tool that's going to do what you want it to do. Mm -hmm. And I guess like I'm constantly refining, like I refine, like I said, the tation has changed so many times. That gua sha tool that you mentioned earlier that, that you've been using for a few years, the first few that I made were, I think I did like seven or eight prototypes before I started. But since I got that prototype, and this was while I was in a master's program, 12 years ago I was doing this, I made that tool and I just, over the years, like the curve has changed subtly, mm. the texture has changed subtly, the way I finish has changed subtly. It's all just about like, you keep tweaking it. You keep making like little refinements over the years. And yeah, it's the same tool, but it, it evolves, mm -hmm. right? And it evolves as I learn more as an acupuncturist and I'm using it and go, oh, God, I wish to do this. I can't seem to, that was challenging. So can I come up with something that, that will do that? There you go. I want to stick a pin in Taishin's, no pun intended. I want to come back to it. Mm -hmm. But but I want to get a little more into this gua sha ban that you make. Like I said, I've had it, I think, for about three years now. When I first got it, it was this beautiful shiny copper with this nice hammered texture. I mean, it's just beautiful to look at. This really subtle curve. I sound like an advertisement. I'm not an advertisement. I'm just... I appreciate it. I'm really appreciative of how gorgeous this thing is. The thing that's really wonderful about it is that over the years, it has acquired this kind of a patina. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's warm. 
It's so lovely to hold it in the hand. It's just delightful. And uh, like you were saying, there's a curve that you're looking for. It's like a flower petal. You know how flower petals kind of curve a little bit sometimes? Mm -hmm. It's a very subtle natural curve. And uh, my wife loves gua sha. And so we use this tool on each other all the time. It's at, I don't use it in my clinic, actually. Mm. Um, it's become kind of a sacred item in our house that we just use with each other. Mm. It's got that kind of special place. I sound like a fanboy now. I didn't know I was going to go on like this. It really is extraordinary. And one of the things that I, I've so appreciated about it is maybe you can tell us more about how you came to this, but there's like these different edges. There's one edge that'll like really get like... If you want to get in and like rub a little bit, pull apart the tissue, say between the toes, yeah, like where liver three is, there's this one little edge that does that really well. And then there's this other edge that works really nice for a certain part of the neck. And then you got these wider areas that are good for like stroking down the whole back. Tell us how you came up with the design of this. Was it simply from you know, I need a tool that does X, Y, Z. And so you were scratching your own itch or was there some other place where this came from? I mean, I was using, when we learned in school, it was a spoon and the spoon always annoyed me because spoons are for soup. And so I borrowed a friend's Graston tools. Oh, those are hilarious. Yeah. I borrowed his Graston tools and I got about 10 or 12 different gua sha tools in a pile and i started finding the most useful curves mm -hmm. and playing with them and just went through and tried different materials and tried different shapes and just kept working until i found something that would do what i want and like i said over the years it's changed a little bit i think it probably after the first year i was making them it probably had really taken the general shape that it is now. But there were several manifestations, very different looking men and different materials. I tried making them out of solid silver. I tried making them out of like bronze and different metals. And I really liked copper. It has this affinity with the blood level. Mm. And there's just something about that material come to find out now that it's very relevant. So they've been doing a lot of studies with copper in hospitals now. Apparently it's an antiviral material. Viruses don't live on it. So if you keep it clean, viruses don't live on copper. So they're starting to coat door handles and stuff in hospitals with copper, which is very cool. Mm -hmm. But it's a material that more and more I've been working with. I used to really like silver and gold and still love silver and gold for different things, but there's something about copper lately. I've just been latching onto. Yeah. You know, I was wondering about the different metals and their affinity, say for different levels of chi or different structures in the body. Energetically, you know, I've heard about different stones and crystals and things like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know much about it. But, you know, you hear people talk about, it. oh, this has an affinity for that. This has, you know, affinity for something else. Right. I'd love to get your thoughts on the different metals that you use and how you think about properly utilizing them in, in the clinic. Yeah. So there's some really cool things when you relate metals to their actual, like, physical properties. Mm -hmm. If you look at gold, silver, and copper, right? So silver is the most thermally and electrically conductive material on the planet. And if you go from silver, copper, gold, that's the order that traditionally we think of as reducing, neutral, tonifying. Mm -hmm. It's the exact order of that thermally and electrically conductive material in inverse. So going down that scale, it directly correlates, which is kind of neat. For me, traditionally speaking, that's silver is usually used for reduction, gold usually for tonification. Copper, 
is more tonifying, but in the middle. That's what we traditionally say. I have a different take. I think probably because I've inhaled the dust of this stuff. I've like gotten it into my skin and tasted it. And like, I've been way too intimate with this material that I'll probably pay for. You pound on it with hammers. You smell it when it's hot. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately feel it when it's hot sometimes. <laughs> but I think they have just their own personalities. Mm-hmm. And I think we as practitioners have personalities that mesh with different metals too. Now, silver, what I've seen over the years is silver because of this electrically conductive and thermally conductive, maybe because of it, maybe not, I don't know. But I think it's the easiest to kind of have that intentional connection with. What I've seen is people can kind of make silver do what they want with it. Whereas gold kind of has a personality and it's going to kind of put its own personality into what it's doing. And same thing with copper. It's kind of got its own like personality that it puts into things where silver, you're like working with a blank slate. And then I feel things like I've made some stainless steel tools and they always just feel dead to me. Mm. They feel flat. Yeah. So And I've found that the more something's an alloy too, so the more metals that are mixed with it, generally speaking, Mm -hmm. the flatter it starts to become. It's kind of like mixing colors in a painting. When you mix colors, you start out with these vibrant colors and you start mixing paint and every color you add to it, it just gets grayer and grayer and duller and duller. It's like using too many needles in a treatment. Yeah, absolutely. Muddy the situation. Yeah. That's interesting. Your thoughts about that different people would have an affinity for different metals. I hadn't thought about that. But I hear you say it, and I think that's right. I knew a a practitioner, another Japanese-style practitioner, and I'm not strictly a Japanese practitioner, but this gentleman, uh, probably say he is. Um, He was doing for a while, he had probably about six different tation of all different metals. And he would feel their pulse and place it on uh, CV12 mm-hmm. and let the pulse tell him which tation to use on the patient. I was taught to do that kind of a thing. Yeah, it's kind of neat. And I was taught to do that kind of thing because that way you could tell what's the right tation for that person. I'm thinking about this in reverse. What's the right tation for the practitioner? Yeah. That's a different way of looking at the equation. What's the right tool for me? What's We were talking about points earlier. But I think you're doing that too, though. I think you are measuring. When you're taking a pulse, are you just taking the patient's pulse? Or are you making a connection, a bond with that patient? I kind of feel like you can't just measure the patient. You can only measure the patient through your own lens. Of course. And so when you're placing that tation on CV12 and you're taking their pulse, it's what's right for that conversation. I can see that. I'm very curious to go into clinic. I've I've been playing around with tations again recently. Mm -hmm. And I just like this idea that, oh, I'm kind of a copper tation guy. I'm just kind of a Midwest Bubba Grunt kind of acupuncturist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm good with a copper needle. It's my thing. Yeah. I just like that idea. I have found that I'm, generally speaking, using a silver needle, using a silver tachine, mm-hmm. works for me better. Gold tachines, I know the theory behind it, but they always feel a little foreign in my hands. Mm-hmm. But that's just me. You're the first person to, you know, now that we're having this conversation, suggest that it's not about the metal particularly, but that the practitioner and the metal, their relationship. Yeah. So I'm going to play with that. Thank you. That's exciting. (laughs) And you might also find though, that if you've got a gold needle lying around, there might be a patient that walks in the door and you're just like, that's gold needle time. Gold needle time. Yeah. 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 Knowing your tools is so important. 
Yeah, and as somebody that makes and sells tools, I'd love you to buy all of them. But if I'm absolutely honest, I think it's much better to have one or two tools that you're really familiar with mm -hmm. than it is to have the whole arsenal and barely know what you're doing with them. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Hey, what are your thoughts on titanium? I've only played with it a little. I don't have the equipment to work it properly. I haven't used it that much. What I've felt of it has been, first off, it's too light in my hands. Mm -hmm. I like to feel what I'm holding, but it has that same kind of like, it's got this airiness, this, like it, I don't really connect with it, I guess. It's light in my hands and it's, I just don't really feel it. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. Yeah. Iron? Have you played with iron? Iron's cool. Iron is very, very neat. I have an iron needle that I made a while ago, an irontation that I made a while ago. To me, like when we talk about copper going to the blood level, iron has like a one track mind to the blood level. Mm. Well, that's interesting given what we know about hemoglobin. Right. Yeah. But it's very cool. I Years ago, I went on this quest to try to remake the nine needles in their full glory as they would have been used. And I made two sets. I made one set out of copper because there's copper age. And then I made one set out of bronze because that would be the evolution of things and trying to place when things were written and what these tools might have been made of. And it was interesting first. I mean, this is kind of tracking to a different side of things, but you have to know how to sharpen needles to use them. Like you have to be a little bit of a metallurgist to be an acupuncturist if that's what you're using. But feeling the different materials and then like I moved forward and I started to try to make stuff out of iron, but my equipment really is not designed for iron and steel. It's just and I abandoned the project at that point, but there's definitely a huge difference as you move through time and you move through metallurgy. And I think that's one of the reasons we all use the seventh of the nine needles. Now, 2000 years ago, that needle would suck to use. <laughs> they were thick. They dulled every time you inserted them, they would probably break often or they'd, not be work hardened enough and be too soft. So there were all sorts of problems. And now that we have these beautiful stainless steel needles for insertion, I mean, the metalgy matters. You can do so much with that one needle now that you couldn't have done in the past. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five-element and six-chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI. 2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, we're fortunate to have the technology that we do. There certainly is that. I want to come back to the Taishins. Originally, you saw the Taishin and you thought, oh, I could do that. It's always such a great place to start. Isn't it? It's like, oh, I could do that. Yeah. From hubris. <laughs> that doesn't look so hard. 
And thank goodness, you know, thank goodness for that too, because otherwise we might never start anything. Oh, uh, yeah. So what's the difference between like a poorly crafted tasting, let's say a beginner's tasting, and a more masterful tasting? It's small things. To use another analogy, if I'm playing tennis and I have the best tennis racket in the world and I play against... Andre Agassi, who's got the worst tennis racket in the world, I'm still going to lose. So skill matters. Let's just <laughs> put that out there. Yes. Funamizu with a toothpick is probably a better acupuncturist than me with the nicest station on the planet. So with that out of the way, it just becomes subtle curves subtle refinements there's different parts to the tation you've got a tip a tail a shaft you've got necks that are leading to the tip and the tail and sometimes you've got like an extra little component to it usually either ribbing which adds functionality i've made like jewelry tation for people with crosses and I made a tation in the shape of a lightsaber for Funamizu, who's a huge Star Wars fan. So it was a <laughs> lightsaber tation for him. Um, so we have all sorts of different things that... I want the R2-D2 gua sha tool. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, a picture just jumped in my head. Well, I'll think about it. Um, <laughs> so you can have all sorts of different shapes. Mm -hmm. But... Some shapes take away from functionality and some shapes add functionality. So when I was in Japan, I saw a tation that was square. It was square and really sharp. And I was like, this doesn't seem very good. I use super rotation technique. Should have done my super rotation. How can I do that with this? And so the person told me, oh, this is for blind acupuncturists. So it doesn't roll off the table. I was like, oh, okay. That, that makes sense. There it is. Function and form. The right tool for the job. That's right. right. So Tation needs to fit your style. I've made a whole bunch of Tation for New England School of Acupuncture. They commissioned me to make Tation every couple of years. And they have a very specific Tation they want. And it's very lightweight, very thin. I would never use it personally. Mm -hmm. They use it. They get great results with it. Their style is very static. They stay on a point. The person teaching it stays on the point, holds it there. He's got very subtle technique. I like a heavier tation. I move around a lot. Funamizu was one of my teachers. I don't know if you've seen him practice, but he is moving constantly. And I would bend that tation, right? So the tation needs to match the style you're using. And so you make different adjustments depending on what it is. And when I first started, I was using something much thinner. Now I'm using a much heavier tation. I've added ribbing to it. I'm, I'm doing different things. Usually I have like one or two tation that I'm selling as regular products, but I do custom work and Usually that tation that I'm selling is like two iterations behind what I'm actually using in the clinic because I change what I'm using and I have to live with it for a year. And then I'm like, okay, I guess this is really what I think a good tation should be. And I might start messing with my website a bit, mm -hmm. but I'm looking for a happy medium. Mm-hmm for production. I guess you can call it production. It's one at a time, me hammering stuff out, Anvil. But, um, but it really needs to match what the practitioner is doing. That's why there's so many different shapes of Tation. They're all sticks. They're all sticks with a little tip and another end. But my first teacher taught us to use toothpicks. That's what I learned with was a toothpick. Can you change the pulse with a toothpick? <laughs> if you can do that, you pick up a good tation. It's a lot easier, right? I got a piece of bamboo here. Can you change the yeah. pulse with the bamboo? I love it. I've got a wooden sword. Ling Shu talks about stone needles. They were making needles out of bamboo. They were making needles out of 
shards of rock. Yeah. Do you work with gems at all? Do you play with stones or gems? Does that any of that enter the work that you do? Not too much. I've done some settings for stones, and I've set some stones into Tation, and I've set stones into other tools. But typically not. I don't really. There's there's a whole other, a lot of it. You know, I have a very small shop. My shop's my garage. Mm-hmm. It's limited. I've got two motorcycles in there and a jewelry making bench. And, <laughs> you know, I've got limited space. So if I start putting lapidary equipment in there, it gets a little cramped. No, just wondering if you and your own work had any kind of affinity for stones or brought that kind of consideration into the the medical side. I know some people do. I don't know anything about it yeah. myself, but I know some people do. I've played with it a little, but not much. Yeah. But quality of the metal, that's something that you know about. Yeah. Well, like I said, the alloy. So one of the things I use whenever possible, especially in the Tation, Mm -hmm. is I use fine silver instead of sterling silver. So fine silver is 99.99% pure silver. Sterling silver is... 92.5% 92.5% silver and then 7.5% other stuff. Generally, you're looking at copper being added and some other things. If you have a bad refinery, sometimes lead, it can be anything, but it really it's now I do use fine uh, sterling silver in some tools because it adds durability. So if you're using a tool that you're scraping across somebody out like a chokashen, I'm going to go for you know, that material. But with the Tation, I always use fine silver because to me, when you start getting that alloy more and more mixed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're talking that it muddies it up. It muddies it. Mm -hmm. So I like to try to stay as pure silver and as pure copper as possible. The gold, I typically go for like a 14 carat, which is an alloy. But I think the durability to functionality ratio is about correct. And I've handed it to practitioners who swore before that they could tell the difference and handed them to Tation was like, okay, which one's the 18 carat, which one's the 14? And nobody's been able to tell me mm-hmm. which is which. So I always like to test things. Yeah, good idea. Well, and it sounds like the design of your tations comes from your own clinical experience. You take them in into the shop, so to speak. Yeah. Work with them with patients. Do I need to change this? How do you know you need to change it? Because you're using it. Right. And every teacher I studied with or study with changes my mind as to what I should be doing. And right, if they're a good teacher, they should change your mind in some way. So <laughs> should put that on a bumper sticker. Yeah. So every time I study with a different teacher that uses Tation, and sometimes that don't use Tation, but every time my technique starts to change, I'm like, oh, geez, now I got to like rethink this. And luckily, that's just me going to the shop and hammering out something new. I don't have to like call somebody and be like, I need to commission you to make this. So I can have something up and running the next day that I could test. That's cool. For me, I think the hardest part about that whole process is I need to change something. It's usually upstairs in my brain that I need to make that change. That's always the hardest mm. space to get to change. You know, it's so hard to break habits or or let go of things that have been successful and, and worked to make room for something else that might even be better. Right. Yeah. I try to add it in. Mm -hmm. So I try to, when I have a new thing I want to test out, if I'm doing something with a client who's in distress, they've got needs, you've got to help, right? I'll typically do what I know how to do to get them feeling good. And then I'll try that new thing out. Mm -hmm. You know, I can always fall back to what I know. Yeah, it's tricky sometimes adding in new things because... We know what we know how to do, and we want to be as of as much service as we can to our patients. 
So going back to Gregory Fong again, one thing he used to tell us in martial arts mm-hmm. is you should train for what you don't know. A lot of people really like to practice the stuff they already know how to do. And so we keep doing the same thing over and over and over, and we don't get any better, or we just get better at that one thing. And so he had colorful analogies. One of the things that he would say is you have to be willing to flush your toilet. People eat a lobster dinner the night before, and they don't want to lose their lobster dinner because that's their lobster dinner but you have to be willing to flush your toilet. He was a colorful character. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so practice what you don't know how to do. I love the sound of that. The idea sounds wonderful. And I know, as with so many things, the actual practice of that is probably much more difficult. Yeah. Any tips for venturing into those spaces just let it go i mean that's it you just have to be willing to fail you're gonna fail at anything new ten thousand times before you get it right and if you're not willing to fail at something you're just gonna do the same thing over and over and over Mm -hmm. which is a different kind of failure which is a different kind of failure yeah so you have to be willing to try everything just embrace it just embrace trying new stuff and it's not the end of the world if you don't get it right the first time you know on occasion there is that thing called beginner's luck Mm -hmm. i've seen it in my own life i've seen it in people around me if the universe is being generous with us yeah we step up to something that we've never done it's like i'm and you really step up. It's not just like, oh, I hope this works. It's like, no, you're in with both feet. You have skin in the game. And sometimes you can get dramatic results early on. Yeah. And now you spend the next five years figuring out how does this stuff really work? Right. That how is so important. I know people that are content with it works and they don't venture into the how it works or the why it works. I think when we have an understanding rather than just an ability to do something, you can have a great ability to do something, but if you don't understand what you're doing, it's so much harder to move forward. And I think seeking understanding, seeking the why and the how of it really just makes us better. The how is so interesting. I've noticed this especially when I want to try to learn something new or do something different. I'll get a vision of where I want to go or, or something that I want to do. I won't know how to do it, but I know what it is that I want. Mm-hmm. And the how comes over time. It's like if you start going in that direction, the how will reveal itself through your learning. It's actually the joy of learning. And at the same time, you know, it's terrifying because you're on the path. You don't quite yet know how it all works. And that does take time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Luckily, there's some great teachers out there that can help us along. Nobody can give us the answers, but they can certainly help us find them. Those are the best teachers, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, If folks would like to find you and your lovely tools, where would they do that? Yeah, so you can go to accuartistry.com. Just like that. Great. I'll make sure that that's on the show notes page as well. And do you do custom work as well or, or just mostly production at this point? I do. When we say production, it's all one at a time right? anyway. So changing something a little bit for a particular person is never a problem because I'm usually making it when they order it. But yeah, I do occasional custom orders like bigger, like I've been lucky enough to make some people that order custom tools often are willing to pay for things I'm not. Mm. So I get to work with different materials and do some neat stuff. So yeah, I do custom work. Great. Actually, I do have another question. 
because you've been at acupuncture for a while and we've been talking about the learning process here today, amongst other things in this discussion. For people that are new to practice, right? Maybe they're about to graduate from school or they're recently graduated from school. Any advice on getting through the next three to five years? Uh, That's a tough one. We have a lot of students that listen to this, and so that's why I'm asking. I'm asking for them. I really think we are an alternative to the established medical thing. Don't feel like you have to fit in with the current model. So many people I see go out and try to do the insurance thing, and, and that's great, and it's a great path. We need people doing that. I think there's lots of ways that you can be creative and earn a living and reach people that wouldn't normally be reached by the normal medical establishment. Because generally people seeking us have been through that. And so if we're just copying what they're doing and becoming them, which we do need some people to do that, but we don't need everybody to do that. So follow your gut and your heart and be a little creative about how you set up your practice, because I think that will make you stand out. It would make you stand out, and you'll probably have more fun too. Yeah, otherwise you get burned out. That's not good for anybody. All right, well Mark, thank you so much for your time today. This has been thoroughly enjoyable, and I'm gonna go dig out my uh, copertation that I haven't seen for a while and go play with it. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Michael. Thank you so much. One of the themes we touched on in this conversation was, can you make it simpler? One of my reminder mantras is simplify. And I fail at it all the time. And yet, I think my best work is when I have been able to distill out the essence of what I want to communicate or pare away the details and confusion that surround the kernel of a potential idea that's worth exploring. Can you make it simpler? What can be removed that will improve a situation? What can be edited out to make an idea invitingly contagious? Getting to the heart of a matter is not a process of embellishment, but one of distillation. That reminder to simplify and use that to guide your intention, that is a potent practice. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, There's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.